No, I love that video. I mean, on one part, it's really funny, but the other side, it's so true because I mean, we've all been there where, you know, we need to be someplace or the phone rings or someone knocks on the door and just before that, chaos is absolutely breaking loose. But no matter how ugly it was, somehow we managed to put on a happy face and try to pretend that everything is good. Now, there are times where that might be somewhat warranted. Perhaps consider at work. Yeah, at work, you probably don't want everyone just airing all their baggage all day long. At times, you need to kind of put that aside and decide, okay, we're going to just focus in here on this other topic. Or say you're in line at a grocery store and the cashier asks you, so how are you doing today? I mean, you have a choice. You can either give uh, an answer that might be kind of superficial, but at least it's brief. Or you might go into a 10-minute litany of all your struggles and anxieties and, and challenges in life. I mean, at that time, it's probably appropriate to filter it down and be kind of superficial. So having a filter at times is appropriate. If you've ever been around someone who doesn't have much of a social filter, who pretty much says whatever they want to and does whatever they want to anytime they want to, you know that's kind of awkward and it can be very damaging to relationships. So a filter can be good. But, and this is important to pay attention to, but what if our entire life is filtered? What if in everything that we do, everything we say, every relationship we have, we are constantly trying to manage how other people think of us? Well, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 to see what Jesus has to say about that. Today we are in our final week of this series called The End of Me. And throughout the series we are beginning in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're starting with a section called the Beatitudes, which share the core values of life in God's kingdom. And then we are jumping to another passage to help us to see how these principles play out in real life. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Our Father, we thank you for your tremendous, unconditional love. Lord, we look at our lives and recognize that we are all broken. We all have parts of our lives that we are not very proud of. Parts of our lives that we prefer to kind of shield and hide, maybe sweep under the rug and just ignore. And we definitely don't want other people to see those things. But Lord, we thank you that when we come before you, you give us grace. You give mercy that even though you see it all, no matter how much we may try to hide it, you still welcome us into your presence because of what Jesus has done. And I pray that this morning as we examine your word that you will be speaking to our hearts and helping us to take this knowledge that we gain from your word about your love and your grace. Help us to take it and apply it to our lives so that we will grow as people who are authentic, who are real, who are pure in heart, but who, who are not trying to put on a mask, making ourselves look better than we really are, but that we will be able to live lives, that, that our lives of honesty, integrity, and humility lives that honor you on the inside and the outside. So Lord, please teach us right now. Help us to honor you more as a result of our time together this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read Matthew 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that's what we looked at the first week. That even though we are all broken, Jesus can make us whole. 
Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Even though we, we at times have sorrow and pain and, and deep struggles in our life that just leave deep heartache, Jesus can give us joy and blessing even in the midst of those challenges. We go on to verse 6 that we looked at last week. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We talked about how we are all thirsty for something. The question is, what are we thirsty for, and where are we seeking to fulfill that thirst? Jesus is the only one who can ultimately satisfy us. He is the one who will fill us. Let's jump ahead to verse 8 that we're focusing on today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, back in Jesus' culture, this concept of purity was very popular. Devout Jews were very focused on living lives of purity. But the problem was that their focus on purity was focused on the externals and what other people could see rather than what was going on inside their hearts. They were focused on things like eating the right food, eating only the clean food, so that they do not incur any impurity in their bodies. They focused on purity in their relationships, especially they didn't want to relate with Gentiles too closely, the non-Jews, for fear that associating with the wrong people could contaminate their purity. Or they even created all these traditions, for instance, about how to wash your hands before a meal, not just to get physical grime and dirt and stuff off. They wanted to be ceremonially clean. It was a ritual that they enacted. And they got all bent out of shape when Jesus at one point in his ministry decided to ignore that tradition of ceremonial washing before a meal. And they got all bent out of shape. They just pounced right all over him. And so they were focused on purity. But there's only purity on the externals. Jesus, though, said, blessed are the pure in heart. He wants to see an alignment between what's going on inside of us and what is going on on the outside. Alignment between these two. He's focusing in on the heart. And he says, when you are pure in heart, when there is alignment between those and you're seeking God, you will see him, you will find him. I invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23 as we explore this topic further. Now, one of the things, if you know much about Jesus and his ministry, you probably know that the Pharisees and other religious leaders did not really care much for Jesus. In large part because he upset the status quo, where they were on the top of the ladder in Israel. But Jesus was turning that ladder upside down. And, and the animosity, as we get to Matthew chapter 23, was really quite high. Because just a few days later, the Pharisees would lead the charge to have Jesus crucified. So in that context, let's hear Jesus' words that he speaks to the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, picking up in verse 5. He says to them, Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. And so what they're focused on here is looking good in other people's eyes. We see it right in verse 5. Everything they do is done for people to see. And then Jesus goes on to list some religious activities they are doing to look good in other people's eyes. He says, for instance, they make their phylacteries wide. You may be thinking, what in the world is a phylactery? I'm going to describe it, and you may still wonder, what in the world is that about? What phylacteries were, were these small leather boxes that they would affix to their foreheads, 
into their arms. It was a literal response to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. It talks about binding God's word to your heads, to your arms. It talks about talking about it as you go out um, walking with your family. It talks about putting on your doorpost to your house. But they took Deuteronomy 6, 8 very, very literally, where they made these leather boxes. And in the leather boxes, they would put uh, little scrolls that contained some scripture verses. And they would put these boxes on their foreheads. And on their arms, and they'd walk around with those things. And again, in our culture, we may look at that and think, that sounds really strange. But that's what they want to do in very literal application of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. And you can imagine here that as that practice gets established among the religious leaders, then they begin to think, hey, maybe if I make my phylactery a little bit bigger, I will look a little bit more godly. And so that's what was happening. Jesus says they were making their phylacteries wider to look good in other people's eyes. And so the mentality was that they were hoping that people would look at them and say, whoa, look at that righteous Pharisee over there. Look at the size of his phylactery. Sounds strange. We have other rituals in our culture too, though, that are religious rituals that try to make us look good in the eyes of others, whether or not we recognize the motives. Jesus said the same thing was going on with tassels on their garments. You may think, What's the big deal about tassels? Well, Old Testament, it talked about having garments that have tassels on the corners. And these tassels were to serve as an ongoing reminder of God's commandments. Well, the Pharisees thought, hey, if a, if a small tassel is good, big tassel's better. Looks better, looks more religious, more, more, more pure, more in love with God. So they were growing the tassels on their garments just to look good in other people's eyes goes on from there in verse 6 they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues they didn't love these seats because they could see well from these seats they love these seats because when they were sitting in them other people saw them as important people went on verse 7 they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others I mean, when you look at, the, at that idea there and just the overall ministry of the Pharisees, so frequently they needed their ego stroked. And, and you can imagine that out in the marketplace, if they did not receive the respect and reverence they thought they were due, they would probably be very, very offended because they love to be recognized by the people around them. And so all this begs the question, who is our audience? For the Pharisees, it's quite clear who their audience was. They gave a lot of lip service to God. But in their hearts, they were seeking to win the praise of the people around them. They lived their lives. They did the things they did primarily for a human audience. And so for us, who is our audience? Everyone is living their life, is playing to some audience. Who is our audience? Who is it that we are trying to impress by the things we say and the things we do? Whose attention are we seeking to get? Whose pat on the back do we seek? I think it's a very important question. It's interesting to look at where we are right now in human history, especially with social media and how that affects the idea of audience. Because social media opens up an audience to a degree that there never was before. I mean, today, if you are on social media and you have a handful of friends, say, on Facebook, you could post anything you want, anytime you want, 
and get an instant reaction for hundreds, if not thousands of people. They, I guess you may not get that many people actually responding, but you at least get that many people who would see it. And many would respond. They can like it. They can love it. They can comment on it. They can share it. And it can be very gratifying if it's something encouraging, which the vast majority of what we put on Facebook is meant to get that positive response in return. And if, if what we put on there is especially amazing, there's a chance it might even go viral. And then we could become famous by what we put out there for others to see. In fact, this week's life groups feature in the, in the DVD a man named Jefferson Bethke. He became famous because of a YouTube video he put up a few years ago. In the first 48 hours that video was online, 7 million people watched it. Two days, 7 million views. He became famous because of that. It's pretty insightful to hear him talk about it if you're in the life groups this week. That's what can happen as a result of social media. So it's interesting as we talk about this idea of audience, of what would the Pharisees have put on Facebook if they had Facebook back in the first century? Let's just play a game for a minute and and consider some possibilities. How about this one? I'm going live in five minutes. Tune in as I pray to our glorious God. And if you like what you hear, be sure to leave a comment and share the video with others. I mean, sounds kind of realistic, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of what might go on today. I just completed a week-long fast. Praise the Lord, for he is good. How about this one? I am so thankful for the opportunities God gives me to teach the scriptures. Today, I shared my wisdom with a group of young men, and they just ate it up. How about one more? What a joy to be able to give so generously to help the needy. Thank you, God. And all this sounds so pious. I mean, it sounds so nice. But behind it, there would be some mixed motives of, you know what? Maybe I'm doing this for God. But also, I'm doing it with an eye towards the audience who is seeing it. And you can imagine from this uh, pharisaical type of mindset that there would be great joy as the likes and the loves and the shares and the comments rolled in. Or, on the other hand, if the response is quite meager, the disappointment. That's what happens when we are doing things for the audience of other people around us. Now, do you know what would not appear on Pharisees' Facebook pages? Well, let me give you a few examples of that as well. Had a big fight with my wife this morning. You know, I think anger and bitterness are getting the best of me. Or, I wish I'd voted differently in last week's Sanhedrin meeting. I was wrong. These are things you probably would not see on a Pharisee's Facebook page. Why? Because they reveal some form of vulnerability, some form of weakness, or even some form of sin. And when you're playing to a human audience, you do not want to appear weak. You don't want to show real vulnerability. Now, as we look at this idea of what a Pharisee might post on Facebook, I recognize it is hypothetical because they did not have Facebook. But it's only marginally hypothetical. Because we do have accounts of what they were actually doing. Let me turn our attention to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. It's a chapter after Jesus was giving the Beatitudes. Let me just read a few verses here that describes what they were actually doing. 
Jesus says, Matthew 6, verse 2, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So what were they doing? They were giving to the needy, but they were doing it for a human audience because they loved to be applauded by others. They loved the attention that they were getting as they gave to the needy. It looked pious, but had mixed motives behind it. Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So they pray, but they pray with an eye towards an audience not of God, but of other people. Down in verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. See, they fasted, which is meant to be a spiritual exercise or discipline between us and God. But for them, it was a sign of, of displaying spiritual maturity, spiritual works that they are doing to try to get applause in the eyes of other people. And then you hear over and over, they have received their reward in full. Their audience that they are seeking applause from as humans, they receive the applause and listen to what Jesus says at the beginning of that section, Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward for your Father in heaven. They'd already received their reward in full. They, they were looking to a human audience. They, they received the pats on the back, the applause. Now, when they stand before God, they may not understand it right away. But he's going to say, you know what? You already received your reward. Now, Jesus calls them hypocrites here. Matthew 23, if you read throughout the rest of that passage, you would see over and over, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. Hypocrisy is really about putting on a mask. Back in the ancient Greek culture, a hypocrite was someone who is typically an actor playing a role in a the theater. Actors, they didn't have actresses back then, gender issues, and men would play the role of women, but they would put on masks as they play the theater, because they'd be playing a role that was not their real-life role, and they may even wear different masks in the same play. But they put on a mask to, to play a particular role. They were called a hypocrite. Now, when we come to the Pharisees, they essentially were playing like actors, or, or if they were females, which they weren't then in terms of Pharisees, but there would be actresses. They were playing a role. They were putting on a mask, trying to make themselves look better to others than they really were. They were not pure in heart. They were focusing on external forms of purity, but, but it did not align with what was going on on the inside of them. And so Jesus calls them hypocrites. As we look at this idea of, of the Pharisees on Facebook and, and trying to project an image to other people, did you pick up that what, at least what I put up there hypothetically for them, is not that much different than what sometimes appears on Facebook today? It, it's not that much different. I'm reading a very interesting book right now called Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in the digital age. It's by a woman named Sherry Turkle. For several decades, she's been studying the effects of technology on uh, just uh, identity and relationships and just society in general. It's a very insightful and thought-provoking book. And I want to just offer a few thoughts, partly based on this, partly based on just some other thoughts and observations that have developed through the years, just on this idea 
of social media and authenticity. Because social media is so pervasive in our culture today, and we can't pretend like it doesn't impact who people are, how they view themselves, how they interact with other people around them. One of the things we have to understand about social media is that it trains us to play to the audience of other people. I mean, it really, it really does. Social media would not exist if there was not an audience that we are displaying stuff or sharing stuff with. In this book, uh, it quotes a woman named Sharon. And Sharon is in her early 30s, has been using uh, social media for, for quite a few years now. And she's, she's pretty reflective of how it's affecting her. Let me read this quote from Sharon. Sharon says, I spend my time online wanting to be seen as witty, intelligent, involved, and having the right ironic distance from everything. Self-reflection should be more about, well, who I am, warts and all, how I really see myself. I worry that I'm giving up the responsibility for who I am to how other people see me. I am not being rigorous about knowing my own mind, my own thoughts. You get lost in your performance. On Twitter, on Facebook, I'm geared towards showing my best self. Showing me to be invulnerable or with as little vulnerability as possible. And this sounds quite a bit like the Pharisees, doesn't it? You know, hide the vulnerabilities, put your best self out there for the audience that, that you're playing to. And, and again, in reality, everything on social media is done with an eye towards the audience. That's why on social media you don't see generally people putting super mundane things or boring things or at least things that they would interpret as mundane or boring. Whenever we post, I mean, me included, I, I don't do a whole lot with Facebook, but I sometimes put on there funny pictures or quotes from my kids or stuff like that. I do that knowing that there is an audience. If there was not an audience of people who would see what we post or who would care about what we post, we would probably not post much, if anything, on, on Facebook or other social media because social media is designed to play to an audience of other people. Now, the problem is, as we play to an audience of other people, we present our best self to them, or at least our edited self, a, a self that we choose, we filter, how are we going to present ourselves to the people around us. This is why Facebook is sometimes called a highlight reel. I mean, we select what we put on there. Generally, we put it on there, the stuff that is happy or that reflects well on us. And if we show vulnerabilities on social media, generally there is a specific reason we are doing it. It's not just self-flagellation. It's not just, hey, I need to confess this to the world. There's usually some reason behind it. Maybe it's, you know what, I fell down, but I'm going to get back up again. There's some reason why we share vulnerability. I mean, we don't just go out there and be like, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be real today. I'm really struggling with this. I mean, it, it happens at times, but that is not by any means the norm. The norm is to present our best selves or at least our edited selves because we naturally want to please other people. And then when we are driven to please others, what happens is that it slowly destroys authenticity. We worry, you know what, will people like us? Will people love what we put on Facebook? Will they accept us if they see the real me? This has been an age-old problem ever since Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, after they turned against God, they tried to hide. 
Didn't work very well, but they tried to, and it's been an age-old problem. It's just that social media takes it to new levels, and we still, we want to hide. We want to project our best self to the world around us, but then we, we shy away from sharing things that might make us look vulnerable or make us look weak, and we fear what other people might say, what they might think, and fear is the enemy of transparency. Fear makes us put up the filters. And again, at times, filters are appropriate. But it's not appropriate if our entire life is filtered. If in, if in every relationship that we have, we're trying to put forth our best self rather than our real self. We end up becoming like actors or actresses, putting on a performance for other people to see. And, and again, we can't pretend that this does not carry over into real life, especially when you look at how frequently people are, are engaging in social media and, and, and other forms of technology. I mean, there's interesting stuff in that book, and just as you think about it, about texting even. I mean, texting rather than face-to-face conversations allows you to be more edited in what you say. I mean, if you are, are engaged in a sticky situation, I mean, you can wait a long time to respond. You can type something out and then think, oh, let's edit this a little bit. It's a lot more comfortable to live an edited self than the raw, real self in the moment. And that's what technology allows us to do, is to try to hide. But in the process, we lose authenticity. And then when authenticity fades, that undermines all relationships. With others, with God, and with ourselves. Study after study has shown that people who frequently use social media have a significantly higher rate of depression and social anxiety. And it makes sense. If people are trying to put their best self forward, if they're playing to the audience of people, you're going to be wondering, you know what, what are other people thinking? It's going to lead to anxiety. Also, it leads to a decreased sense of who am I and a decreased comfort with who am I really, especially with my weaknesses? Because everyone has weaknesses, everyone has problems. But are we comfortable in our own skin, in dealing with those things, in being real about those things? You look at generations past. Journaling, writing in journals was a pretty popular thing. I was even reflecting this week on on my prayer journal. I, I like writing out prayers to God. I have a box of tons of prayer journals down through my Christian life. There's an honesty level there that is definitely not shared by what I post on Facebook. It's just the reality. But in today's world, journaling, sharing your thoughts privately, and just, it just, that's a place where you can express any emotions that you have and process through them. That, that is going by the wayside in favor of social media. I mean, younger people are focusing a lot more on, you know what, externalizing my thoughts on social media than in journals or in other places like that in real relationships and real conversations. And what happens is that people don't really know even who they are that well anymore because they are no longer processing the deeper emotions. They're trying to hide them or they're trying to put a veneer over them rather than processing them deeply. And until we come face-to-face with our weaknesses, until we learn to own them and deal with them in a healthy way, they're going to haunt us. Other studies have shown that that is when people um, just really understand their weaknesses and are not, not necessarily comfortable with them, but at least deal with them, 
that's when they're the happiest. That's when they're the most productive. That's when they are most creative. But what ends up happening if our society becomes more and more superficial is that it erodes the ability for happiness, for creativity, for productivity. Because we try to hide all our weaknesses and put out our best self. And it kills authenticity. It kills our understanding of who we are. It kills relationships with other people and our relationship with God as well. Remember, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He is looking for purity uh, of heart that, that also exudes externally, that there is a, a, a congruence between the lives that we are living externally, what we are projecting to others, and what's going on inside of us. He says that is when we are blessed, and that is when we have an authentic relationship with God. So the question is, how do we get that purity of heart? How do we get to that point where we are living an integrated self, no longer afraid of what other people are going to say or think? Well, the key is goes back to audience. Who is our audience? The idea of who is our audience really presents us with a fork in the road that will determine what direction our life is going to go. Is our audience going to be other people? Are we going to play to try to get their applause and their approval and their pats in the back? Or are we going to play to the audience of God? Because everyone has some audience. Who is the audience that we are seeking? It makes all the difference in the world. And many times when people think of God, they are scared because they're like, I don't have it together. I need to get it together before I come to God. That doesn't work, and that's not what God is looking for. What if there is a relationship that we could have where we can be completely honest, completely vulnerable, that we can lay all of our ugliness and sin and warts and, and, and problems and mistakes out on the table and say, you know what, this is who I am in fullness, along with these other good qualities over here. What if we could do that and know that when we do that, when we are fully real and authentic, that we will still be loved and accepted and cherished and valued and actually drawn nearer as a result of being real rather than being repelled. What if there was a relationship where that was available? There is. It's a relationship with God because he welcomes us into his presence in that manner. Let me turn, turn our attention to 1 John chapter 1. Remember, I said earlier that, that fear is the enemy of transparency. But later in 1 John uh, chapter 4, it says that, that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love is available only from God. And here's what God's love enables. It enables transparency. 1 John 1, picking up in verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, this is talking about light and darkness. Do we hide ourselves? Do we filter ourselves, put forth our best selves and our edited selves? Or do we come, first of all, before God 
with authenticity and realism. We see here that God's love invites authenticity. God loves us despite our sin. He says that if we claim we don't have sin, if we try to hide that sin, we won't have any sort of fellowship with him. But, he says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, that means agree with them, get them out fully on the table, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So this opens up the door for authenticity with God. If we're trying to present to God our best selves, our edited selves, we're not going to have a relationship with him. It's the same thing in our relationship with other people, and that's what this passage focuses on as well. I mean, it talks about um, in this passage that, that if we um, walk in the light, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son purifies us from all sin. You know what? If we are living behind a mask, if we're acting our way through life, we're not going to be able to have real relationships with those around us. I mean, you imagine two actors or, or an actor and actress or two actresses interacting with each other through the lens of the role that they are playing in theater or in a movie or something like that. I mean, if they're wearing a mask in that relationship, pretending to be someone they're not fully or not really, they're not having a real relationship. They're only interacting with each other's masks. And they probably are doing that because, and, I mean, moving out of the metaphor into real life, they're doing that because they're afraid of rejection. And that's what we do, that if we are putting on a mask, presenting only our edited and filtered selves to other people around us, we're not engaging in a real authentic relationship. And frequently we're doing that because we are scared. But when we receive God's love and God's grace, it frees us to be more authentic with others around us. Larry Crabb, a Christian uh, counselor, he has written, somehow we fail to grasp that God's acceptance makes anyone else's rejection no more devastating than a misplaced dollar would be to a millionaire. We foolishly believe that other people's acceptance represents a legitimate measure of our value. And this, as we look to God as our audience and we receive his approval and his love, it can have a profound impact on our relationship with others. Because then we don't have to worry, what are they going to think of us? Are they going to like us? Are they going to reject us? Because we already have the approval from the one whose opinion matters the most. And that can give us confidence to be more real with those around us. Because you know what? Everyone has weaknesses. The question is, are we going to be real with them? And as it says in 1 John, that when we are real... When we are authentic, it opens the door to true relationships and fellowship with one another and with God and with ourselves. And so Jesus offers the, door, the way to living authentic lives. And when we are authentic with God and with others, it leads to acceptance. I mean, it's amazing how when we do open up with trusted people, people who have experienced God's grace and can show God's grace, it opens up the doors to beautiful relationships, redemptive, life-giving, hope-filled, love-filled relationships that are not available if we're only interacting with people through a mask. And so the key to this whole thing is the key to this whole series, that we come to the end of ourselves, that we say, you know what? I'm done trying to prop up myself here. I'm no longer going to worry about what other people are going to think of me. I'm no longer going to try to sweep my, my brokenness and my struggles under a rug. Instead, here I am. My, my real authentic self, warts and all, sins and all. But I'm thankful that Jesus offers redemption and hope. 
and acceptance despite how much I've failed. And he wants to purify me from the inside. That, that can give us such tremendous hope and such freedom. Because then we don't have to worry about trying to please other people. I mean, living a filtered, edited life, trying to put our best self forward all the time, is so exhausting. But it's so freeing to say, you know what? I am broken. I am messed up. But Jesus loves me nonetheless. And he is at work in my life to redeem me. That is so freeing. Now, we are all broken. I mean, I thought, uh, you know, at one point in the sermon process, uh, as I was developing this for today, I thought, oh, I, I have all these different things I could list. Um, you know, I struggle at times as a parent with impatience. I struggle as a husband with being self-centered. I, 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 just even in my leadership here at church, I have strengths, but I also have weaknesses. But I realized, you know what? The public forum, whether in a sermon or in Facebook, is not necessarily the place to air all your laundry in terms of your struggles and everything. That's not necessarily the place. The place for that primarily is with trusted relationships. So the question is, do you have people who love Jesus, who have experienced his grace, who you can go to, that you can be honest with and experience his grace flowing through them into your life and giving you acceptance as you are authentic? Because when you experience that, you will experience the gospel and Jesus' love in fresh ways. And it is life-giving. Again, it's freeing. And so we come back to this idea of what do we do on Facebook? What do we do in the public forum? Because we all interact publicly all the time. Now, I, 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 my hope and prayer, my, my belief as I look in Scripture is that Christians should be the most real people there are out there. Because we don't have stuff we need to hide. We don't need to fear the rejection of other people if we've experienced and received the love of God. So we should be able to be honest and real. I mean, at times you still need to exercise a filter and what's socially appropriate at different times. But we should still be people that when they look at us, they're like, you know what, that person's the same over here and over here and over here. There's an integrity throughout. There's a purity of heart. Even though they don't have it all together, they, they openly acknowledge that. And they receive God's grace. And so when we come back to Facebook, I, I think it is valuable if we're looking at posting something or anything we do in a public setting to ask, what's my motive here? I'm not necessarily against all social media. I mean, like I said, I engage in it some, but I do ask the question almost any time I'm going to post something, why am I posting this? And, and, and what's my motive behind it? And I, I honestly find there are a lot of things. I probably only post a, a small, very small percentage of what actually comes to mind of, oh, maybe I should post that. Eh, no, I don't really need to. <laughs> what's the purpose? And you know what? Reality is, Fewer people will know about the stuff that's going on in my life. You know, he biked this number of miles or he did this cool thing or stuff like that. And that's fine. Because my goal is not to have an audience of other people. My goal is to have the audience of God. And to hear at the end of my life, well done, good and faithful servant. Rather than hearing him say, you know what? You were seeking the applause of humans. You already received that. That's not what I want to hear. I don't think that's what any of us want to hear. It's so freeing be able to be authentic, to be real, to receive the love of Jesus, and to give, let, let, let that give us confidence as we go through our lives, that we can be authentic, and in our authenticity, be accepted by God and by others around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that while we were at sinners, you came into this world to redeem us. We, so we easily fall into that trap of people-pleasing, uh, we get pharisaical attitudes that look down on other people who are faltering, yet also build ourselves up and try to hide our weaknesses. But thank you, Jesus, that you came to redeem us. 
I pray that you will work in us to purify us from the inside out. That where there are those places in our lives that we are hiding sin, where we are embarrassed by things, that we will first of all come confess that freely to you. That we will experience your love and your grace in fresh ways. And Lord, I pray that each one of us will have trusted men or women in our lives who love you, who will be able to be a brother or sister in Christ who can walk with us, that we can be fully real with, to deal with the stuff that is in our lives. Lord, help us to grow as people of integrity, people who love you not only on the outside, but on the inside as well. People who, whose lives are characterized by our identity in Christ, not by the identity that we prop ourselves up with or not with the identity that's foisted on us by others. But Lord, may we rest in your love and may your love shape us and define us from the inside out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.